0: Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this is the first episode in our new season where we will be reading through the Hunger Games trilogy.
1: Yeah.
0: We have been doing Geek Between the Lines for over three years now. And after last year, we did a read-through of The Ballad and Songbirds and Snakes. We thought that this might be a fun change in which we could spend some time really digging into these books that we love so much. If you are just coming in and joining us for this season of the podcast, welcome. It's great to have you here. To give you a little bit of background, we are a couple early 30s folks living in Southern California who are definitely geeks. We we love (laughs) all sorts of geeky series, and and the podcast for most of the time has been looking at different series, including The Hunger Games, through compelling themes. And we try to approach our analysis and our our, our critique of these in kind of different but complementary ways. I am fairly privileged in our society.
1: Yeah, you are.
0: <laughs> uh, and, and I'm certainly, you know, critical of that and, and try to recognize that privilege whenever I can. Um, but I come at this from a, a kind of more academic point of view. I, I'm a historian and an educator.
1: I'm a university history professor. Exactly. Uh, I'm someone
0: who, you know, really likes looking into those ty- kinds of historical currents and systems and, and things like that. So With
1: the recurring section what Chris was learning in grad school, (laughs) popping up in our previous episodes. (laughs) Yeah,
0: So that will probably be a big influence on how I engage with these books as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Whereas I, even though I studied history in undergrad, I also am, you know, kind of coming from a position in our society as a queer, half Japanese, half white chronically ill person in the world. So yeah, sometimes things from my own experiences will bring out different questions or analysis.
0: Yeah. And our podcast throughout has always been something where we we try to both bring up new perspectives for each other and for the audience and to look at the series that by and large we really love Mm -hmm. in ways that are both appreciative, but also critical. And so we'll be maintaining that as we look through The Hunger Games.
1: Absolutely. So kind of the format of our read-through episodes are going to be looking at, first we'll give a tiny little read if you're not reading along with us, and then we will look at some striking moments, something that maybe hit us differently than it ever has before when we previously read them, or something we're seeing in a new light. Then we're also going to look at, from another point of view, if Katniss was not the narrator of this particular scene? What's another character that we're interested in their perspective or Hmm. their experience of something? We're also going to look at touch points, which is what is happening in these chapters that we see parallels to things happening in our world whether it's good but let's be honest mostly bad (laughs) it's the hunger Games. yes exactly (laughs) and then lastly we're going to kind of end with wonderments things that we read in these chapters that is leading us to more questions to wanting to know more to something that we're still chewing on or want to pay more attention to as we're continuing to read on So if you haven't read The Hunger Games before, you can definitely listen along. If we are going to talk about something that is a spoiler, we will definitely state it very clearly so that you can skip those parts or whatnot. Um, But we're going to stay mostly rooted in the chapters that we're reading uh, with periodic times of looking at character development and and narrative threads that, that may touch on some other things that happen in books or or chapters to come, but again, they will all be stated clearly. Yeah.
0: For this first episode, we're going to be looking at just the first two chapters of the first book in the trilogy, The Hunger Games. But we may have more chapters in that for further episodes. It might go up to three or more. Um, It's just that, especially the beginning of this book, there's so much to dive into. Yes. Two chapters was more than enough.
1: We were planning on three. I read two and was like, Chris, I think we need to change our plan.
0: Yeah, so we'll let you know at the end of each episode what we'll be doing for the following episode so you can read along with us and join us for the journey. Uh, Just a quick plug now, and we'll talk about this more at the end, but you can also join us on Patreon if you want to get access to the special patron-only aspects of the read-along that will be available there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And at the end, we'll go into a little bit more what we're doing there.
0: Yeah. But we should get into our analysis of these first two chapters. Uh, I'm really excited for it. So could we start with a recap? Would you mind letting us know what happens in these two chapters?
1: So the book opens in District 12 in the world of pen that has the capital as its oppressive government. And Katniss Everdeen, the protagonist... Wakes up on Reaping Day, which is the day that one female tribute and one male tribute will be chosen, ages 12 to 18, to participate in what is called the Hunger Games. A disturbing fight to the death of children for the entertainment of the capital, guised in a punishment for a past rebellion the districts had done against the capital. And Katniss wakes up and goes out hunting and meets up with her best friend, Gail Hawthorne, who is her hunting partner. Once they return from hunting, they have to go to the Reaping, where Katniss's sister, Prim, who is just 12 years old, her name is called to be a tribute in the Hunger Games, and Katniss decides to volunteer in her sister's place. Then the boy tribute's name is called, and it is Peter Malark, someone who Katniss doesn't know well, but is 16, just like she is, and who she has a history with from five years before when he showed compassion, purposefully burning bread, even though he was punished by his mother for it, just so he could give it to Katniss, who was starving so that she and her family could survive. And that's when the first two chapters end. Yeah. So why don't we go into our striking moments? What struck you this time from the first two chapters?
0: Yeah, I think the the moment that really spoke to me was when Katniss is waiting for the reaping Mm -hmm. and she's talking about the betting that goes on for, for what happens. But the moment specifically was, she talked about how the people who are doing those bets tend to be informants to the peacekeepers. And so if you get on their bad side, then they can form on you. And and she specifically mentions, because who hasn't broken the law? Mm -hmm. And I think that was such a powerful moment because she obviously breaks the law all the time as a poacher, as someone who's going out there and hunting in a way that is not actually allowed. But, you know, beyond that, I think that it highlights how in a world that for one is so controlled, but for two that has such poverty, that kind of law breaking is going to be extremely common. Mm -hmm. where people who are already vulnerable in a system like that are going to be faced with choices where they might have to break the law for survival. And the law is not set up for them. And so breaking it is not breaking a law that is meant to keep them safe and happy, but really the elites. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they are more likely to break that law. And so with informants all around it makes it so that there's an increased vulnerability because everyone has these ways in which they could be reported or uh, punished for the things they've done just because they have, yeah.
1: They're trying not to starve to death.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Although also, are there that many informants or is that another lie spread by Mm. the peacekeepers to make people distrust each other? I mean, I'm sure that, when you're starving to death, you can be bought off quite easily, but who knows how common it actually is.
0: Yeah, totally. So yeah, I just, I found that moment uh, particularly interesting, not only because of the very brief but complex world building that's going on there, but also, yeah, it's showing that the district itself is not a monolith, that there are people who are betting on what child will be put out to participate in this awful awful
1: mm-hmm. is
0: system. that child
1: coming from the seam or will it be someone from the merchant class how old
0: will they be yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly
1: yeah that also is really striking to me because it just reminded me that a lot of the people whoever are participating in this like they're trying to play the capitals game too because that's what everybody in the capital is doing they are betting on people who's going to survive who's going to be the victor and and so on and so it's like they're doing such a similar thing but they're doing so at such different levels whereas it's just for sport and for extra money and you know extra luxury and and extra fun on the capital side whereas I'm sure some of the people are trying to get a little more money so that they have a little more food so that their existence is a little more manageable absolutely but they also have a lot more to lose because then what happens if you can't pay whatever you bet Mm -hmm. so yeah they're trying to play the capitals game a bit but they're gonna lose every time because nothing that they can win there is going to change the reality of their existence by that much
0: absolutely yeah yeah yeah, so what is your striking moment?
1: So something else that I had kind of forgotten about is that Hamish, when he was talking about Katniss, like, oh, she is full of spunk. And he yells, pointing to the cameras, more than you. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of forgot because, you know, we get to see him more as a savvy strategist. And seeing him so brazenly defiant of the capital was interesting, and, and so that just kind of made me wonder if he's kind of like some another character we meet later in the future, um, who it's like, well, I've already lost everyone so it doesn't really matter what can they do to me so is is that where Hamish is at here and then does he become less and less of that and does he become more and more careful because of the relationships that he forms
0: absolutely I I think that moment also happens right after the district does the three-finger salute for Katniss Mm
1: -hmm. this
0: read-through I was wondering if that was Hamish being savvy if it was Mm -hmm. him I was wondering that too yeah oh no The district can get in trouble for this. I Mm -hmm. need to make this about me. I need to to become the person who's in the crosshairs here instead. Did he
1: actually fall off the stage or did he stage falling off the stage? Exactly. How much of this
0: is a performance? We know Mm -hmm. some of it's a performance. And even you could say that him saying she's got spunk is a way of making her more attractive for the capital later Mm -hmm. on in the games. But he's doing it through this, yeah, this drunken buffoon kind of performance that he's doing, which... The drunkenness is not that performative. (laughs) No. But I think there's certainly something there, and it's an an interesting read to see, yeah, how much is he already looking at what is and is not safe and who it is or is not safe for this early in in the the
1: If they take it out on him, he doesn't care Mm -hmm. that much. They're not going to take it out on anyone he loves. But, yeah, is there something I can do to take attention away from a semi-defiant act by the rest of the... District 12.
0: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, great moment.
1: Well, should we move on to from another point of view? Sure. Who do you have?
0: I was actually originally going to talk about Haymitch, but I think that since we we kind of covered that, I'm going to instead talk about another character who isn't even named. The boy who's standing next to Katniss when Mm. when Prim gets reaped. Because Katniss realizes that the boy next to her, a scene boy, is holding onto her arm, and she thinks she might have almost fallen, and he helped her. And that could very well be the case. Obviously, it was a shocking moment for her. But when thinking about what that boy was going through at this time, people do all know Katniss. She provides a important labor to the Seam and to to District 12. And she mentions a few times that, you know, everyone loves Prim. And so I can see a possibility of maybe this boy is not just grabbing her arm to support her because she's falling, but because he knows that it's Prim and that he's trying to give some sort of support, even emotional support, to Katniss as he knows that she's going to go through this and he's standing next to her when it happens. And as someone who is from the scene and who understands what all this means, I, I just, yeah, it makes me think about... That That already started making me think like, okay, what, what was this boy's perspective of this moment? And then he was one of the crowd, you know, not only were they silent when Effie asked for applause, which was Katniss mentioned, you know, the only kind of protest that they could get away with. But mm-hmm. then they do a step further and they do that three finger salute. And, you know, this boy, I think, is an example of someone in the audience who is seeing this and understanding this. Not just understanding that this is a girl who is volunteering for her sister, but that this is Katniss volunteering for Prim. And seeing them as members of a community in a way that I I don't really think I I thought about before.
1: Mm -hmm. Because she's so standoffish about having any friends or anything. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So she may not know who this boy is, but I think this boy knows who she is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, so so for me, a different perspective that I would be interested in is learning more about what it's like for the other people in the scene and the other people in District 12 and how they're seeing everything that happens in this series as we'll be talking about, but even these early steps of this reaping, this such an important moment here, what that perspective looked like from just a random person in that community.
1: Mhm. And I could just imagine these conflicted feelings because what if he had a friend that could have been reaped instead mm. or a sister or a cousin or something and you feel relief that it's not someone that is close to you. Yeah. But also compassion for the person standing next to you that that's their sister.
0: Yeah, yeah. At one point Katniss mentions how that night most people are celebrating. Mm -hmm. They're not celebrating for the reason that the elites want them to celebrate because, oh, hey, it's the Hunger Games. This is such an amazing, fun activity for everyone to enjoy. They're celebrating because they weren't reaped. Yeah. And so there's certainly an element of that. That's a really good point. But what was the perspective, the POV that you wanted it to bring up?
1: So I was thinking about Madge Mm. and... Katniss and Gail bring fresh strawberries to Madge, whose father is the mayor of District 12. And they have this kind of tense interchange, particularly between Madge and Gail. Because Madge is dressed up, people get dressed up for reaping day. And she was saying, I want to look my best if I have to go to the capitol. And Katniss just thinking, like, is she joking? Like, Mm -hmm. is she just messing with him because he was kind of sullen to her, you know? Or Um, just
0: going along with the jokes that they were saying.
1: mm -hmm. She's like, you're not going to go. Like, what is the likelihood that you are going to go? Because you've never needed to put your name in extra times for a Tesserae. What, you have four slips of paper among thousands? And so... I was thinking from Madge's perspective, after they leave her house, I'm wondering if she, like, if she operates under the idea that it's a real possibility that her name could be called. Because later, and this isn't a big spoiler, it's not really that important, later we find out that her aunt was in one of the games. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about Madge's point of view after they left the house thinking about her aunt and, and you know, how there's those conversations that you have that afterwards you think about, oh, I should have said this or I regretted saying this other thing or whatever it would be.
0: Oh, you mean what's going on in my mind all day, every
1: day. (laughs) Exactly. Or after we finish recording a podcast episode, I'm like, oh, but this would have been a good point. Oh, well. (laughs) And so, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about what maybe would be going through her head. And if she would have wished that, you know, she had said that my aunt had very few slips of paper, but that didn't save her. Mm-hmm. And that makes her scared, despite the fact that the odds are in her favor because of the family she was born into and the better economic situation that they're in. Or is she aware that all the kids in the seam are... So much more scared than her because, like Gail, they have 42 plus. Like, Gail is somebody who hunts too, Mm -hmm. right? So, somebody who can't hunt, you know, how many times do they have their names in the reaping? And both of their families, Katniss and Gail's families, have so much more to lose than Madge's family does if she's reaped. And so, yeah, I was just kind of wondering things that she could be thinking after that interaction.
0: Yeah. And as someone myself who, yeah, has grown up with a lot of privilege and has over time come to recognize a lot of those privileges and looked back and been like, oh, I was not recognizing that privilege earlier. (laughs) I wonder if Madge experiences that as well. If she is isolated in part because she sees the injustice of this system, but she can't help but be privileged by that system when she is the daughter of the mayor. But she also could be victim of the system because mm-hmm. she is at the top of the district 12 hierarchy, but she's not capital. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that, that already seeing her in that place is, is really fascinating and, and definitely a, an interesting perspective to think about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Especially once, as you mentioned, you, you look at her history and her personal and familial engagement with the games and with that oppression. mm
1: mm-hmm. Okay. Well, why don't we go Into the touch points, where do you see parallels between what's happening in these chapters and our world?
0: Yeah, this one's always going to be the hardest for me to narrow down to just (laughs) one thing, because I see so many, because Suzanne Collins is a good writer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, dystopias are meant to be a reflection of the injustices and ailments of society they're being written in Mm -hmm. and the Hunger Games are certainly a great representation of that or a great example of that. But the one that, that came up for me was when Katniss was talking about her memory of Peta and laying the context for that. She talks about how after her dad died and her mother basically fell into a depression that the family was going to starve. She in particular worked to make sure that she and Prim were still presentable at school
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: otherwise they'd be sent to the community home, to to like the orphanage, essentially, of District 12. And and she saw how the kids there were mistreated and uh, she didn't want that for for her and Prim. I think that that parallels a lot of the very tricky nuances of social services for children in our society Mm -hmm. because most social service agencies, you know, they talk about how their first priority is to keep the child with their family. Yeah. And that's not always what's best for that child.
1: (laughs) Definitely not. For Katniss
0: and Prim, they almost died. They almost Mm -hmm. starved to death. And there's a real problem there. Their mother was incapable of taking care of them. On the other hand, the systems that are meant to provide services and provide support for those children and those families that are in those situations are woefully inadequate Yeah. and are absolutely often places where abuse goes unchecked and despite the good work of many people who are trying to provide whatever they can for those children because of just the massive need and the lack of resources that are being put into it that becomes i think a a huge issue and and certainly that's the case i can't imagine any social services in district 12 get (laughs) adequate resources and this one in particular we see through the hunger games how little weight is put on the lives of children in this society
1: yeah Absolutely. And where this is much closer to an orphanage situation where they don't expect the kids to be adopted or anything like that. No family in District 12 is going to take on another child Mm -hmm. uh, because of the poverty level. So I I was kind of wondering, like, how much is this social service just for show? Mm -hmm. Because... In in Katniss's case, you could just help them out so that they don't starve. Yeah,
0: maybe provide food for them that doesn't come with an increased risk of death (laughs) in a gladiatorial combat arena with other children.
1: Exactly. As made in the Tesserae. I mean, sure, there was neglect going on, absolutely, but not, like, over abuse. Mm
0: -hmm. And Katniss, luckily, had the skills where she could ultimately ensure that her family survives. Yeah itself going against the law (laughs) and rules but yes
1: (laughs) absolutely another thing that kind of struck me there was that they got one month compensation Mm. after their father was killed in that mine explosion and the fact that both of those things the take the kid away if the parents aren't able to care for them and oh here you get a little bit of compensation. But neither of those are enough to make a difference for these kids' lives um, or for the mom's life. Like one month, the mom's supposed to somehow just be able to go get another job in District 12. I'm sure people just want to hire someone. It was hard enough for them to survive when the dad was working in the mines. And um, I assume the mother was still doing some of her apothecary type of work Mm -hmm. and one month is just not enough and so it feels like the show of oh look the capital cares but in reality it's the system is so broken and the disparities are so great that something like that can't make enough of a difference which i i do feel like is very much our world and our country in the united states it You know, it's making me think of how disability works in our country mm. and like SSI and to get benefits. It's just ridiculous. You can't have more than $2,000 saved, which means they are requiring disabled people to not have a safety net in order to get benefits. Because what happens if your car breaks down? What happens if your rent is just raised, which it will be? They're making it so that people have to be in a situation where just one thing goes wrong and they could be completely destitute.
0: Yeah, that's ridiculous. If it was two million dollars yeah i can understand that but two thousand dollars no
1: there's all sorts of things where it's like there's these social services that are supposed to help and they do to some degree but then there's other stipulations involved where it just makes life either unlivable or just so much more difficult than it should ever have to be absolutely
0: And I think that the vast majority of interactions between the state and individuals is when those individuals are not meeting the standards set by the state Mm -hmm. in ways that are helping the state's priorities, not that family's priorities. It's not, oh, you didn't get a job, so you probably need mental health services to help you deal with this catastrophic loss in your family. Mm -hmm. It's you're not being productive. You're not making sure that these children are going to school where they can learn the propaganda and, and elements of that we need to. to we instill need into enough them. children
1: to survive so that they can be reaped. Come every Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the reason that they and so that and they can, can eventually mine become pole, eventually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is not too far away from our government either. Exactly.
0: You know, the vast majority of interactions between the state and individuals in our society is also things like the police and agents that are, yeah, looking for repayments of loans and like all these other kinds of things. You know, sure, we have a robust social service system, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: it is nowhere near adequate.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah, particularly those who are vulnerable, like everyone in the scene that the children are only going to a orphanage if they stop showing up presentable at school if there's if they're not meeting standards that are superficial not standards that are actually engaged with their experiences and their lived lives Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so that very much took me down a hole of of really seeing how even these small elements can illuminate these these wider relationships that absolutely have parallels with our society
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But but what was your example?
1: Well, that was one I was thinking about. Another one was just a small one of Katniss's one line when she was thinking about her father having been killed in a mining explosion. It was that there was nothing even to bury. Mm. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking about burial as a practice that can aid in closure. Mm. And and a potential communal practice. I don't personally have any experience with that, of someone just being like completely gone with nothing tangible to say goodbye to or or, or feeling the need for that. But it it definitely did remind me of one of my grandmothers who, when my uncle died in the Vietnam War, it was a closed casket, and she had an incredibly difficult time with that Mm. with, if I don't see him, I don't know for sure that this happened. I mean, it didn't help that the military had lied to her about some of the things that happened. <laughs> there, there were things that did, did not help. But um, I remember growing up hearing that story of her. Like, it always would have been difficult. Mm-hmm. But that particularly being difficult at the funeral, that, yes, yeah, she didn't have the type of closure she would have wanted to have in such a terrible circumstance. And so yeah, that kind of, it just made me think of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Last year, my dad passed away and because it was in the middle of the pandemic, um, we did have him cremated and, and we have his remains, but it took us over a year to have any kind of service, even for the the family, Mm -hmm. um, because it wasn't safe. And even when we did do it, we took as many precautions as we possibly could. And we had a a fairly small gathering of just his siblings and their families and, and us kids. But there was, I think, an element for, especially for his sisters to, yeah, have a gathering, be in community. And, you know, even though we weren't burying him, to have his remains there and, and have it be an experience that is, does have that kind of physical component. You know, it's not just a Zoom meeting or a phone call where mm-hmm. we're talking about him, but it's, it's a much more um, kind of physical element there, which, you know, isn't the exact same thing, but uh, certainly is what comes to my mind when, when I think about that. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And perhaps that's why, one of the reasons why Katniss's mom took so long to have closure or, or move on from such an experience you know mm. it, it could have been one of the many things that really affected her so intensely
1: yeah that actually kind of brings me to my wonderment oh yeah let's 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 go into those it was about Katniss's mom and and Prim a little bit as well but when Katniss was thinking that they always look out of place in the scene because of their light hair and blue eyes And that they were out of place. And so, yeah, I was just kind of wondering about her mother's experience moving to the scene. As this white woman moving to a place that I read as more indigenous. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, just wondering if she made any close relationships Mm -hmm. there. If she felt like an outsider there. If she felt judged there because of her background of, of... being more privileged. Um, Did she lose some of her relationships with the merchant class people that she grew up around, her family, her neighbors, because she made this decision to leave them, which maybe would not be seen very well?
0: They certainly don't seem to have a wider support system when her mother's not taking care of the kids.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and if she didn't form any new relationships and she lost some of her old relationships, that would lead to being so much more isolated. And while you're grieving without having any support and the only people in your community don't really have much to give in terms of help to put food on the table or different things as you're struggling, because all of your neighbors are struggling just as much or more. Yeah, that to me could make a lot of sense for it to just be this debilitating depression. Like she went there for her husband Mm -hmm. and if she wasn't able to form a lot of close relationships after moving there and she lost some of her relationships back where she was from, then when he's gone, she has responsibilities and grief you know like that that's
0: overwhelming exactly
1: exactly so yeah just kind of thinking about her experiences because I I love that we get to see it from Katniss's perspective and what it does to her because that is so important
0: yeah it it was still traumatizing it was still you know these serious complications that really negatively affected Katniss in in important ways that aren't just dismissed
1: Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm but yeah, kind of wondering about her, her mom's experience, I think, helps fill that out a bit. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What are you wondering about?
0: Yeah, the thing that, that really made me start questioning things was, especially in the first chapter, when they're talking about going hunting and Katniss talking about how that hunting is illegal and how it's poaching. And it made me think, you know, why is poaching illegal in this world? For the first point, does the Capitol actually provide rationale behind the laws they have for Are there the
1: endangered species that they're trying to protect?
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even even beyond this one law, you know, like does the Capitol have you know, do they care enough to tell the districts that this is the reason they have specific laws? I think that they do. And so if they do, yeah poaching in our society in our history has typically had a number of different rationales behind it some of it is absolutely animal preservation particularly in the present uh you know it's about not overhunting, especially endangered species mm-hmm. but there's also historically been the issue of just property rights <laughs> you can't yeah. poach on my land because it's my land And in particular, nobility in like the late medieval period were like, this is our land. You can't come in here and poach this game because we need it for our sport games. (laughs) We need to be able to go hunting for fun. And so only nobles can hunt. And that, that was the law, that only nobles can hunt. If you're a commoner, you can't hunt. Because, you know, that's a problem.
1: Oh my God, that's so The Hunger Games, right?
0: Absolutely. Because that, that also brings <laughs> We need brings
1: to in... have fun. <laughs> if you starve to death, that's okay. <laughs> oh
0: dear. But then in Panem, at least outside of District 12, it's not like it seems like people are going out there and hunting, you know? It's, it seems like it's mostly just kind of wilderness and so, yeah. Is there preservation of those animals? Is there an element that just this isn't for you because your district? I, I do. Or think... is
1: it if you're able to survive on your own, you might not do what we're requiring you to do, and you know you're not going to meet your productivity threshold if you don't need to.
0: Exactly, and and I think that that hits at what I have started to think about as what are the implications. Of this that that aren't explicit but are still involved here you know what are the anxieties that the capital has about people poaching and is it just that they are able to have a sense of independence Mm -hmm. Um, economic independence particularly is it an element of just control is it just we are saying that this is the case and so you can't do this because you can't do this and you know similar to how yeah Poaching was punishable in late medieval Europe because this is what the nobles said. And if you went against the nobles, it threatened their power. And that power at a lot of times is just a social construct. And so is it just that Katniss doing this, especially as she does it flagrantly, is a threat to the social construct of the capital's overarching power?
1: Absolutely. Which I love because we open the books with her defying the capital. Mm-hmm. And then, as we were talking about in one of our previous episodes about agency in the Hunger Games, then we we go to her volunteering. So it's like everything in the opening two chapters she is doing is, yeah, in a defiance of the structures that the capital set up.
0: Absolutely, yeah. The, the first chapter where we see her hunting and, and selling and doing all these other kinds of things, we see her individual agency. She is making her own decisions, subverting the will of the society and the power structure she lives within, doing what she wants. The second chapter where she volunteers, she's exerting not only that, but she's also exerting narrative agency where she is propelling the plot forward by being the person who chooses to place her in the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. She is not pulled as tribute. She volunteers as tribute.
1: Absolutely. And
0: so, yeah, I think that, that that's a really great point. Um, And, and, one of the reasons I think that episode was such a compelling one was because, yeah, they're already building up so many different forms of agency in Katniss's character and in her actions this early in the series.
1: Yes, definitely. Well, before we close out, I have one other wonderment I was thinking about. Two wonderments. Uh, oh, no. I'm breaking the rules, too, just <laughs> like Katniss. <laughs> it was when she she was thinking about yeah her volunteering and there was a line that said family devotion only goes so far for mm-hmm. most people on reaping day nobody volunteered for peta and that was the standard so that just made me think about like how the games must have created distance Mm. between family members and friends so yeah i'm just like wondering about that when you have 74 years worth of history of knowing that it's easier if you don't get close to people because they may get pulled and if you're close to them then you are going to feel so guilty if you don't volunteer for them Mm -hmm. right So yeah, just kind of wondering how the games have affected relationships and how willing people are to have those close relationships.
0: Yeah. And I mean, what kind of trauma that brings when you are the survivor, the one who didn't volunteer for your sibling or for your friend. Yeah, what what that means for the rest of your life, and in particular that year of your life is -hmm. going to be really,
1: really destructive. But if that's the standard, if the standard is know that your sibling wouldn't volunteer for you, know that your friend wouldn't volunteer for you, your cousin, whoever, then you know as you go about anything in daily life that affection for each other only goes so far. Yeah. Which, yeah, I could imagine would really affect the fabric of their society totally. and communities.
0: Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. What's going to be happening next time on The Hunger Games?
1: So we are going to be reading chapters three and four, where Katniss and friends are traveling towards death in style. If you do want to join us on Patreon, it is not too late. We are going to be hosting some discussions for patrons, and then there are different tiers of extra content people get, whether that's Trivia, a live Zoom meeting after each book to have a live discussion. So yeah, there's tons of fun extra ways to. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say fun extra ways. <laughs> you can bet on who's gonna win. Oh no!
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there are other ways to engage with these books as we read through them um, with other people who are also nerds and excited about this. So yes, you can find us at Patreon.com/slash between the lines. Yeah,
0: and so we hope to see you there. Tell a friend about it. If you, you know, have a friend who loves the books or a friend who's never read them, this is the best time for them to get on. Thanks again for listening. You can find links to our website and our social media in the episode description. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor-Costella at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek
1: out! out.